Welcome back to Cancer Actually Fucking Sucks. I'm your host, Maddie Pollack, Hodgkin's lymphoma survivor, integrative health coach for cancer survivors, and host of this wonderful podcast. Today's guest is Emily Schmugler. Emily is a yoga, meditation, and pranayama guide and Ayurveda health counselor. She was diagnosed with endometrial cancer in June 2020 and has been dealing with the decision-making process between the traditional and conservative approaches to cancer. Hi, Emily. Welcome to Cancer Actually Fucking Sucks. Thanks, Maddie. Cancer <laughs> does actually fucking suck. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> Thank you for coming. I'm so excited. Um, yeah, I can't wait to just hear about your story and all the Ayurveda stuff. And I'm just super interested in it selfishly. So I can't wait. Um, let's start with the cancer part of things. So you did kind of more of like a natural approach to cancer, right? Not like the traditional yeah kind of treatment. I did it I had a we'll just say we can call it a conservative approach okay um because of the type of cancer that it is okay so yeah so let's start from the beginning what type of cancer yeah. and like how'd you figure it all out and kind of like when was this yeah so I was diagnosed with grade 1a endometrial cancer in mm. June last year so this is like oh this year. is really recent I know. It's very oh. recent. Oh, yeah. wow. Oh, congratulations. It's been a year. I mean, <laughs> Thank you. Congrats, yeah, congratulations. <laughs> it's been a year. Since you're... <laughs> <Can't diversity. laughs> All good. Um, so I got officially diagnosed with that in June last year. Um, but I also in December of, or actually it was more, I, I want to say like October, November of 2019, Mm. is when I had a, a biopsy and they found precancer cells. Okay. Got it. So um, to kind of rewind to all of like, how did I discover the cancer yeah. kind of thing was, um, I mean, so I've, oh, endometrial cancer is cancer that's in the lining of your uterus. So it mm -hmm. hasn't actually gone into the organ itself, like the uterine bladder is what they would say, right? Or mm. the myometrial tissue. November 2019, mm -hmm. I was, I had gotten um, a biopsy on the tissue and it came back with precancer cells. Okay. Rewind to all of that. What, what made me get this biopsy, right? So yeah. I've had PCOS for mm. my whole adult, you know, I would say life. Um, mm -hmm. but I wasn't diagnosed until I was like 2021. 20, okay. Um, and there's not really any sort of definitive diagnosing. Yeah. And for of, listeners, what is PCOS if people don't know? Yeah. So PCOS is polycystic ovarian syndrome. Mm -hmm. It's basically where there's an increase of androgens of the more of the male hormone being released from your body mm. um as opposed to estrogen right or the right. the and it's more of like an imbalance of the hormones so you're okay. you're not regularly ovulating mm. so your cycles are irregular okay there's other symptoms that can come with that people can get really painful cysts they can get mm. um heritism which is like facial hair growth, people, mm. some experience more um, irregular body weight. So being overweight for majority of 
your life. And that's partly mm-hmm. just due to the imbalance of hormones. Yeah. And in the in Western perspective of the medical field, right, they treat you with birth control pills as right. the primary treatment for PCOS, which I did partake in for probably like five years in my early 20s. Okay. Then I found yoga Mm -hmm. and like regularly and I was practicing regular yoga. I went off birth control pills and I was able to keep my cycle regular for probably like two years. That's amazing. What, like a certain type of yoga or just yoga in general? Just yoga in general. So I was practicing yoga. I was exercising. I was eating really well. I had Mm -hmm. a regular routine. I was able to shed weight and, um, you know, I was also in my 20s, so that counts too. Yeah. <laughs> easier. <laughs> and it's a lot easier. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until I started to, I, I moved, I started a job that was much more stressful. Mm. I was on my own. And, you know, really the stress levels in my life were, were on the all time high. Yeah. And I think that's really what kind of knocked my hormones out of balance. Totally. And so for over the course of about five years, I was experiencing increased weight gain. I had probably Mm -hmm. gained like 80 pounds within five years, which is a lot of weight to gain. Mm -hmm. Um, I had, um, and, and I was, you know, I was still monitoring my diet. I was still practicing yoga. Um, but as I dove more into like the studies of Ayurveda in the future, mm-hmm. I learned, you know, some of the things that I was doing were just pouring fire on fire, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah, um, making a situation a lot more worse where I could have better managed my stress and had more balance and probably right. my situation wouldn't be to where it had gotten. Mm-hmm. So probably in about 2018, is when I started to really experience um, in- incredibly heavy menstrual cycles that were like lasting for like three weeks, four weeks oh at a time. Gosh. Wow. Yeah. It was really, and I went to go see the first um, gynecologist that I went to see. I had just relocated to the Bay Area and mm-hmm. I had gone to this um, center and they, um, they were like, well, they did, you know, horm- I, I had to pull teeth to get like my hormone level, right. you know, and, and previously, listen, previously, like, because I've had PCOS, I, I've been dealing with this for a long time. So I'm like, yeah, hey, I want like my thyroid levels checked, like all these things, tick, 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 right. that I know that they should be checking. And I, I had to like pull teeth to like get these tests done right right so (laughs) was and this was just a like general practitioner doctor like this was a she was a gynecologist but she had I think um you know she could do some of the hormone level checking even though she was like you need to go through your general practitioner for some of these other tests and I was like well I don't have one at the time you know I just moved Mm -hmm. but I know that like hormones are related to like women's like health. All of them. So like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like just check them. Right. So finally she got the orders for the blood drawn. My hormone levels were normal, mm. you know? Um, and then she was like, well, we could put you on birth control pills to regulate your cycles. And I was like, I just don't 
want to like birth control pills in general like mm-hmm. make me feel not like myself and yeah. I don't want to have to do that you know can I please get like an ultrasound I want to see what's going on so finally mm-hmm. a few months later they approved to get an ultrasound good for and... you for like keep like being on it because yeah like, I feel like most of us would just be like all right whatever you know I mean it was it was frustrating because I knew something wasn't right. This right. was like more than what I've ever experienced before. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So I it it turned out I did have a one cyst and mm. the doctor said the nurse practitioner that I had seen after that was like, Well, just follow up in like eight weeks to see if the cyst has gone away. But this is probably what's causing your irregular bleeding. And I was mm. like, mm. There was something in me still that was like, this isn't what's causing the symptoms, you know, Um, because I've had them before and it's never been like this before. Right. So she, um, I, I ended up going to see my friend who's a Chinese, traditional Chinese medicine Mm. doctor, who's an acupuncturist. um, And she started treating me with acupuncture and Mm. Chinese medicine. um, And I, I think the cyst, I stopped having pain. The cyst went away, but I was still getting like irregular cycles. So mm-hmm. fast forward into the fall of 2019. So around September, um, I, I didn't end up, I didn't trust the women that I had seen previously. So mm-hmm. I, went into, I'd come back from this trip down in LA and I was experiencing like, just, it was really intense symptoms. And so much so to the point where I was like, I was like knocked out on my friend's couch because I was in so much pain. I like couldn't get up. And that's when they ended up, I went to the urgent care Mm. at a different or a different company, a different, you know, Mm -hmm. my insurance still covered it, but it was, um, you know, and I'd seen the urgent care doctor and he was like, well, I don't, I'm not in gynecology. Maybe you should see like someone who specialized in this and you're not anemic, et cetera. So I pushed to see this doctor who was there. And then I told her my story in five minutes. She was like, given your history, I'd like to do a biopsy. Oh, wow. I was like, thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for listening. Thank you for finally listening. And then that's when I got the precancer diagnosis. Okay. Um, and um, even up until the cancer diagnosis, like I had gotten two procedures where they mm. put you under and they, you know, it's not, they're not removing the actual uterus, but they're removing the lining. Okay. It's called a DNC. And so it's a larger, like sampling of tissue mm. essentially. And the first one they said was like approaching cancer you know, there were focal areas that looked like they're approaching cancer. And then the second one okay. came back with a cancer diagnosis. Okay. So, so between... that's the whole story of how I got diagnosed with it and what, yeah. what, you know, led me to figuring out that I, something wasn't right. Right. Yeah. So then after the diagnosis, I guess what, what's like the typical treatment for that, this type yeah. of cancer? <laughs> So the typical treatment, especially because at my age, I'm still in like reproductive you yeah. know, age of um, 
I haven't had kids, but I could still like, I'm still in the age where I could preserve quote my fertility, right. but the typical treatment and, and that's 95%, um, quote curable mm-hmm. or treatable would be a full hysterectomy. Okay. Which they would remove your yeah. uterus, your ovaries, your fallopian tubes, your cervix. So everything, I mean, and it would push you into early menopause. Mm -hmm. And this is a preventative, you know, it's, and given, so I had done a lot of research and when, as soon as I found out, you know, even the precancer cells of what they call complex atypia hyperplasia, I had done a lot of research on studies of people who, you know, they did the the hysterectomy and maybe 40% of them actually had cancer and then mm. the other didn't have cancer. It was just the precancer cells. Oh, wow. Um, okay. But it's hard to see because, you know, it's not like you can just remove the organ. It's like, a, it just depends on, you know, what your, what your grade is too. And they mm-hmm. can't really stage it unless they take the full organ out. Oh, okay. Because they can't see everything. Correct. Mm. And so for me, after doing all the research and my, you know, what I is like, I want to preserve my fertility. I also Mm -hmm. don't want to get surgery if I don't have to. And I do believe like with it being caught so early, like, are there things that I can do Mm -hmm. to prevent this cancer from returning? Right. Or spreading yeah or spreading Mm -hmm. so um the first oncologist that I worked with Mm -hmm. put me on really high dose um progesterone treatment so it's like like incredibly high dose and for anyone who's ever taken progesterone who's been pregnant (laughs) which is like the hormone that Basically, mm-hmm. because my cancer is an estrogen cancer, and it's mm-hmm. it's essentially because of the PCOS that my body was producing high levels of androgens. It also had high levels of estrogen, and um, the cancer was developed from that because there wasn't progesterone okay. to allow for regular shedding of the lining. Okay. So then the cells just kept building and building mm-hmm. and deregulating and all of that. Mm -hmm. So um, I ended up on this high dose progesterone therapy. And I also prior to that, I had gotten an uh, MRI. Mm -hmm. um, And before the MRI between the last like DNC that I got. Yeah. In May. um, From when I got the diagnosis till the MRI, which was probably like five weeks after the Mm -hmm. diagnosis, I had done a Ayurvedic treatment where I was, I was taking herbs and on this, um, eating plan, I was working with my Mm -hmm. Ayurvedic doctor and, um, I had probably lost like five pounds between in in those five weeks. Mm -hmm. I did the MRI and it, there was no trace of cancer, no cancer cells. Oh, wow. it, it was apparent that it hadn't spread. They basically like did just the pelvic area. So okay. it hadn't spread in even into the tissue of the organ. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was like a big choice of like whether I do get a hysterectomy or right. 
you know, try this conservative approach. Yeah. And in the background, I was also working with my Ayurvedic doctor, knowing that I was going to be put on this high dose progesterone therapy that like Mm -hmm. at any point really with the herbal medication, because the progesterone was so strong that Mm -hmm. it really wouldn't do anything to, it would just conflict with the medication as opposed to like help support. And so our plan was to really stay on the eating plan while I'm on this and return back to the herbs and kind of more purifying the body after the therapy was done. Yeah. How long were you supposed to be on the progesterone therapy? So if you're, if you are doing any sort of like treatment therapy, I don't know what your experience was like, but I know they do like a three month thing. So Mm. it's like, Take this for three months. We'll check in in three months and do another biopsy. Yeah. Yeah. So in the fall of this past year, in November 2020, I Mm -hmm. got my first benign biopsy from doing the treatment. And part of it was that I truly believe what I was doing with the Ayurvedic part as well integrated Mm -hmm. into the therapy from when I got the diagnosis, that short five weeks, and then the food and lifestyle plan that I stayed on during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I really do think that it helped, Yeah, you know, yeah. prevent it. I'm sure. And then I ended up meeting with a second opinion mm. oncologist because my, so my sister's friend is a, she's a a big doctor person and I (laughs) consulted with her. I told her my, you know, what was going on. And she Mm -hmm. just said, yeah, I recommend you getting a set. It doesn't hurt to get a second opinion. Yeah. And part of it was because the progesterone, like, again, this experience was, it was pretty brutal. Like I was getting like really terrible mood disorder. Mm -hmm. Um, I probably put on, an additional 20 pounds mm-hmm. on top of like what I was already trying to lose from just the last, you know, right. six years. Yeah. Um, and another fun fact is that estrogen lives in your fat cells. So like mm. here I am trying to beat it. Estrogen caused cancer mm. and this medication I'm taking is making me gain more weight. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it was like, it just felt, it was, I don't know, it was terrible. So I felt really disconnected from my body. Yeah. I struggled with depression during that time too. Um, You know, they said that this could happen, that you could experience like deep, darker moments mm. and depression. Um, I had to really take a step back from the thing, my involvement at work. And, yeah. um, and I really just, it was really tough. I mean, I felt, you know, really alone at that time. To yeah, be honest, that's so hard. Had... Yeah. I was going to ask, did you like connect with anyone else that have experienced, you know, cancer or like this type of treatment or anything like that during it? You know, not so much. Mm-hmm. I, I ended up, um, I mean, I, it was such a, just like, whoa, smack in the face. Like, yeah, right. 
I didn't even know how to like relate to myself at that time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I right, I was like, I need to get a therapist first yeah. of all. <laughs> like I know I'm gonna need that. Totally. <laughs> so I found a therapist. Yeah. That's a good that's a good move. I just was like, I found a therapist. Um and then so after meeting this this doctor and getting a second opinion, mm-hmm. I met another, she was like referred me to the head of gynecological oncology at mm. UCSF. Oh wow. And so I went and saw her and they were like, Okay, let's see how this biopsy comes back, the one that I got in November. And yeah. if it's benign, we can and and they she was like, I can put you on a IUD mm. which like would to basically regulate? It would basically be more localized release of progesterone as opposed to taking it orally. So it's less impacting the whole entire system Mm. and more targeted for the, the actual uterus. And yeah, people do IUDs for pregnancy prevention, but in this case it was to really help keep the cancer at bay. Right. Mm. So she was like, if it comes back, we can take you off the oral progesterone if it comes back benign. So I was able to stop the oral progesterone. Oh, that's great. Which was great. Yeah. Um, and it took me probably like three months to just like start to feel like myself again. Yeah. Um, after I went off of it again, I worked with my Ayurvedic practitioner to kind of adjust what I was eating and Mm Um, I started to incorporate more movement um, because at that time it was like, all I could do was just like walk. And I mean, Mm -hmm. I spent time with my family and, you know, it's just, I don't know what your experience was like, but for me, it was very much like, I felt like I was in hibernation and we were in the middle of a freaking pandemic. Right. right. No, you're right. Yeah. You you couldn't go to a studio or whatever anyway. And no. Yeah. And I'm sure too, if you, when you were in like that low place, it's hard to motivate yourself in your own room to like move your body. Yeah. And that my body didn't feel like my body because yeah, I was right. on this medication where I was like ballooned out. Like I just didn't oh, feel horrible. well, you yeah. know, and, and then like my, the, my mood was unstable, like all of that. It just, mm-hmm. it impacted the way. And I really tried to just remind myself like this is part of the treatment like mm-hmm. it, this will pass you're not going to be in this forever yeah. and if I hadn't done that like I could have you know and I had moments where I definitely spiraled into dark places of just my thoughts and my emotions and yeah um you know and then it's like do I just get this thing cut out of me like right do I just you know say f it and like get my everything removed I don't know that is an option you know Mm -hmm. but then that puts that then changes the whole trajectory of like my longevity of health too because then I'm put into early menopause which is a whole other thing and can cause you know degeneration of the bones like all this stuff that Mm -hmm. I'm not ready for at the age of 37 (laughs) right yeah And other people make decisions for themselves. I know people who've gotten, who've Mm -hmm. done, made a choice for, you know, so who made choices for themselves to get hysterectomies and get full mastectomies and do the whole thing because they've got the BRCA gene, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's so different and, you know, what they, what they want to deal with in the future too. Yeah. 
And ultimately for me, it's like, I still want the option if like, I, you know, I think the first oncologist that I had, he was real. I mean, I don't, he was, he really scared me and Mm -hmm. kind of made it me, made it me believe that like, I didn't really have the option to like get pregnant. Like I wouldn't be able to have kids if I wanted to, it would, Mm -hmm. it's very unlikely that this would happen. And so now that I've transitioned to work with a woman oncologist, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and she's like, look, we can preserve your fertility. Um, I've worked with a fertility doctor and, I have like a great egg reserve, you know, yeah. she's like, we got to get on it now if you want to start thinking about that. But like, right. I also find it really frustrating that like, why, do, why can't I just fight this and keep my organs without it being around the idea of fertility and conception? Like, yeah. what if I don't want to have kids, right. you know, but I also don't want to have surgery. But you, right, right. Yeah. I feel like a lot of doctors and people in general are like, well, if you don't want kids, then like, why not? It's like, well, well and also this culture is just so, I mean, now that I'm more based in like Eastern yeah. medicine and methodology is like, it's really much based in like, like cutting things out, you know, it is. like, no, for sure. It's very yeah. surgery forward here. And very. there is when there's a time and a place, like it's necessary. And there were, factors that I considered that it's like, okay, if this has spread or if it's not working, let's do this, you know, but like, why, I don't know. I don't know why it's still, it's still something that's on the table too. Yeah. Like I've gone in and they're like, okay, well we can take your IUD out now at this Mm. point. So you can try to start conceiving and, you know, but there's, I'm sure liability and law and like all that stuff that they have to like cover their butts on you know with Mm -hmm. just not getting sued for cancer coming back but it's like what if the cancer doesn't come back what if Mm -hmm. that was my experience and like I can maintain my health and maintain an environment where cancer won't return yeah yeah why is why is hysterectomy still being talked about you know right Mm -hmm. yeah no they're definitely they're all for cutting things out (laughs) that's for sure and like, and I do believe that- yeah, which like, totally, it works. I mean, I'm here because it works. It, but yeah. like, it's, it is interesting how, at least like, especially my, and my oncologist was great, like loved him. But like, he was not open to like the other side of things either. Like, I was curious about maybe supplements or, you know, just some other things that I could do. And he was like, don't do any of it. Like, none of it. Which just- is like, it yeah. it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Uh, and and that's where I was like, I need to dive deeper into yeah. implementing, whether it's with my oncologist on board or not, you mm-hmm. know, because ultimately this is my body and this is my life and I'm making right. a choice for me. Mm-hmm. And like, I will definitely do what's recommended um, if I need, you know, if it's a life and death situation or yeah. there's it's metastatic or there's, you know, right. evidence that the, the therapy isn't working. Mm-hmm. So the conservative approach with the therapy worked. And then I, when I transferred to the IUD, it took me a few months to really kind of rebuild my system. To be honest, I was yeah. still experiencing a lot of weakness and exhaustion and 
like chronic fatigue and migraines, like all these things that I was getting from progesterone therapy, you know. And then I worked with my Ayurvedic doctor and we did what's called a panchakarma, which basically Mm -hmm. is where you do a deep cleanse Mm -hmm. of the tissues and um, of the extra what we call doshas in the body or Mm. the things that have accumulated in your cells. And there's a whole process of doing it. It's where you're oiling from the inside and the outside to Mm. um, separate out, you know, the, to make the tissues soft and to, for the medication to get deep down into Mm. where things are stored in your tissues. And then you do a purge and it depends on what, has accumulated in your body there's either through induced vomiting induced purgation which Mm -hmm. is like diarrhea down and out yeah or um with enemas and it depends on your pathology you know the ayurveda the the perspective of cancer isn't the same pathology that you really have to open your mind to kind of following Mm. The way Ayurveda sees disease and pathology is not just um, based on, you know, cancer growing. It's like it you follow someone's history from beginning Mm -hmm. to where they are now to really understand where things, the pathology of how this disease has manifested. And I have to say doing the Panchakarma was like illuminating and we're probably going to do another one in the fall at the end of summer, um, Mm -hmm. where I really felt for the first time, like myself before all of the, the treatment had started before Mm -hmm. all of the issues had started, you know, and I still have the IUD in and, you know, I'm kind of at this like turning point where I could decide to take it out and try to like get my hormones back regulated, but there's this level of fear too, where I'm I like, I was going to say, yeah, are you, I mean, cause it's nerve wracking for sure. Yeah. It's because like, I, I think there's, there's all kinds of fear that comes in. What if the yeah. cancer comes back? Mm-hmm. What if I have to get a hysterectomy, you know, and even talking to my, my new oncologist, she's like, we won't have to do a full one. You know, I just mm-hmm. would have to like advise you on the risk. Like if you keep your ovaries, you know, we would still take uterus, fallopian tubes and cervix, but we could leave mm-hmm. your ovaries for, so I wouldn't go into full on, um, menopause, mm-hmm. you know, but there's always a risk that the, you know, micro cells could yeah. spread. Right. But even that it's like, yeah, the fear of the unknown, the fear of it returning, the fear of having to make a decision to just, I won't have kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, again, I'm not sure I even want them. I don't know. I know that there's other ways to build families outside of having your own mm-hmm. and adopting and fostering and, you know, having yeah. fur babies. And I'm yeah. not, I'm not like, <laughs> totally, you know, I don't need to have this like traditional family either. Um, so it's just a lot of that, that you have to come to terms with when you have cancer, right. Yeah. For anyone, I think anyone who undergoes chemo and radiation, like Mm -hmm. you got to understand that like these things may be impacted, your entire system's impacted from putting that, from killing all of the The cells in your body. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Do you feel like you're in a bit of like a limbo right now. 
I do. Yeah. I feel in limbo. I'm also at that like turning point of age where like Mm -hmm. I'm 37. My, if I were to want to have, you know, a natural birth, like Mm -hmm. I would, this would be the time for me to try because as you know, when you get older, you start to turn into a geriatric high risk (laughs) pregnancy, things like that. But also I just feel like, yeah, I'm not sure that like, gosh, I experienced so much like irregular menstrual bleeding for so long. I'm kind of like, ah, there's a break. There's relief. I don't want to go back to that. Yeah. That's a hard decision for sure. It is. Could you, so if you were to like freeze your eggs, would you, you'd have to take the IUD. I don't know how like these organs work. You don't actually (laughs) have to take the IUD out in order to like the fertility doctor can make you ovulate with medication and then they can, they can retrieve your eggs that way. But I've decided that I don't, I don't think I want to freeze my eggs. Like I'm to the point where like, if it's meant to be, it'll happen naturally. I can still take medication to help me ovulate, Mm -hmm. um, but I can do it naturally within that window of time where like, yeah, I think that like, because there is also a law in California. I don't know if you know of this, but especially Mm -hmm. people who are, you know, uh, have cancer, cancer survivors, like something to know about that there's a bill that was passed that if you, if you are getting ready to have like a hysterectomy or you've got some sort of cancer that impacts like your fertility, mm-hmm. they can freeze your, they will freeze your eggs for you. Like they'll cover the cost of freezing your eggs. Oh, I didn't know that. But at this point, I don't know that I'm necessarily in the, that type of detrimental yeah place. And it's like $10,000 to freeze your eggs. Really and then it's like <laughs> another $100,000 for IVF. And like, yeah. who got that kind of money? <laughs> no, it's really expensive. <laughs> yeah, you're in an interesting spot. How long have you it's had the really... IUD in now? Since, Since November. Okay. So like 10 months. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm rounding up close to a year. And, you know, my Ayurvedic doctor suggests getting it out because at this point, like, She's like, you're using this as a therapy, not necessarily for like birth control prevention, yeah. right? Yeah. So the the thing is, is through the Ayurvedic perspective, even with the slow drip dose of this hormone therapy, it's still preventing you, like your body is going to acclimate. Your body's very smart. It'll acclimate mm-hmm. and stop you from ha- like regulating. So the sooner I can get back to like neutral and balance, right. you know, um, the more easeful things will be. But again, there's like that fear that's holding me back from doing that. Yep. And then there's like the involvement. I've got like three people involved in this conversation outside outside of like myself and my family and my partner, right? right? It's like, I've got three different doctors I'm talking to, the fertility specialist, my Ayurvedic doctor, right. the oncologist. And then I, not even including like my general practitioner who like wants me to get, you know, an early, um, what are they called? Mammogram. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, because you're supposed yeah. to get them at starting at 40. And I'm kind of like, well, there's no indication that there's yeah. cancer anywhere else, you know? Right. Yeah. I could do it as a preventative measure, but do I really need to? Yeah. Yeah, I know. I have to start at 30 in like three years. I'm scared. <laughs> so you have to start getting mammograms at 30, huh? Yeah. I guess I should, maybe I should just do it then. 
Yeah, I mean, might as well now, right? Like, God forbid anything happens, but like, at least it's not, it's not like radiation or like a scan where it's like, I mean, I'm all about scans. I'm like, give me this all the scans. I'm all about scans too. I'm like, hey, you want to do like a PET scan of my whole body? Like, let's do it, you know? (laughs) Yeah, like I want to (laughs) know. Yeah, I want to, I'd rather know too. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was, I, I think at the time I just went, cause I had seen her like a few months after I got the diagnosis. I was just like, I don't want to, I don't yeah, want to deal with lot. this right now, you right. know? Like, but alone. I do think, I do think getting one now and then, and then she was like, you wouldn't have to get another one until you're 40, but you could kind of see mm-hmm. how the tissue, you know, is doing from now yeah. until then kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah, your life drastically changes when you have a cancer diagnosis, right? Yeah. Yeah. How is your like, well, how has your perspective of things changed? And also with the Ayurveda stuff, because you're like a counselor with that. Yeah. Did that start mm-hmm. before the diagnosis or during? So, okay. So to answer your first question, how my, my perspective has changed, mm-hmm. I mean, it's changed a lot. Like, I think there's been so much healing I've had to do for myself, just mm-hmm. my, like my own, like softening to my feelings, to how I treat myself, to like mm. really prioritizing myself for the first time in my life. Yeah. Like I am the kind of person that has put like my job, my friends, my family, the people that I love, my mm-hmm. partner, like fun like I've prioritized all of those things over Mm. actually like true self-care yeah and so I think the way my perspective has drastically changed is that like nothing else matters except for taking care of yourself Mm -hmm. so true ultimately yeah like we can have our involvement in our lives right Mm -hmm. and the people that we love and if you have kids like all of that like I think parents probably think that there's nothing else that matters more than their yeah. lives. And I can, I can totally see that and relate to that. And I understand that. And I think my perspective is like, Oh, I really thought I was practicing self care, but I wasn't mm-hmm. like, Oh, this is what it really means to like nurture yourself, to be kind to yourself, to love your body and all its abilities to like promote healing, you know, mm-hmm. and to even love the parts of yourself that like are uncomfortable, the parts of yourself that like are, you know, aren't you like loving mm-hmm. yourself during treatment. And um, I just think like kindness is like yeah. something that I thought I would, I was practicing, you know, mm-hmm. and realize that it wasn't and that it really, you know, it really, st- and, and, and as much as like the pandemic was really hard, like the quarantine was also a silver lining for me to slow down yeah, and to have this time to just focus on taking care of myself, you know? Right. Yeah. So I think that was the first thing that changed in my perspective. I think the other part was like, just how resilient we are as people and how much like if we focus our energy and attention on something we can thrive you Mm -hmm. know and I know that there are people who um 
who do try alternative measures outside mm-hmm. of um, the Western medical system who've had cancer that aren't successful and right. have unfortunately lost their lives or had less than optimal experiences. So um, I do believe that an integrated approach mm-hmm. is really the best way to go. Yeah, I think few, you know, fusing both medicines are going to be helpful where sometimes the, the chemo and radiation and surgery are absolutely necessary. Mm-hmm. And the integrated approach of like Eastern medicine will help promote longevity, will help you rebound and recover quicker. Right. And yeah. live a more fuller life, you know, mm-hmm. after the treatment or the therapy is done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So I think that definitely... And then the experience of, so I was, I actually did my Ayurveda um, 500 hour teacher training many years prior to this. And, oh, wow. Okay. And I had always thought I wanted to do the health counselor track as well, but mm-hmm. I just, you know, needed time to just kind of live it and experience it and yeah, fold it into my daily practices and mm-hmm. routines. And then I ended up actually... Yes, I did end up, after I got the pre-cancer diagnosis, I, I enrolled in my program. It was really hard because I, you know, I had got, I was, I had started taking a low dose of the therapy um, mm-hmm. progesterone. I had gotten the surgical procedure and I was traveling and working nonstop, traveling nonstop oh, wow. and traveling to my program. So it was really hard on my body and I was exhausted and I didn't yeah. feel well. Um, and then quarantine hit and I finished the rest of my program Mm. in quarantine, Mm -hmm. which was also really challenging. As you know, online training is really hard. (laughs) Um, but it was also really great to be like connected in a community. Mm -hmm. And then after I had gotten, so basically after I'd kind of gone through the experience of like integrating medicines Mm -hmm. and seeing its impact on my own body, like a few years back, I had this vision of like what I wanted to become or what I, who I wanted to help, like what my aim was, my purpose in life. Right. And, and so I do think a lot of the choices I've made in my like career steps have been that direction. And so I, I ended up signing up, I'm in a, I'm a, just under halfway finished with my practitioner program of my Ayurveda training. Oh, wow. So this is where we go deeper into pathology and disease and, Mm. um, and treating more, um, more systemic, deeper pathologies. Um, so we've studied so far, we've gone through GI disorders and, Mm. um, pathologies where we've studied, neurological disorders mm-hmm. and then we've also um just finished our musculoskeletal disorders wow um, we're more it's more skeletal than anything um less like injury focused more like actual like um like arthritis and osteoarthritis and yeah um rheumatoid arthritis and things like that mm-hmm. um and then our next one we do in we'll do in august and then i have like uh, a half a year off and then we finish the program okay. next year. Okay. So. Wow. Good for you. And who yeah. was like, you mentioned you had an idea of like who you wanted to help. Who was, yeah. what is that idea? And is it the same as it was before? 
I mean, I think the path I've chosen as a yoga teacher and Ayurvedic practitioner is to be of service to anyone and Mm -hmm. to all people. And so ultimately, like, yes, I, I want to serve as many people as I can and help people feel well. Mm-hmm. help people get back to balance, help people um, see their own like power and ability to like with whatever resources they have, because yeah. that's the really beautiful thing and simple thing about Ayurveda. You don't need to have a ton of money to be able to practice it. It's mm. understanding your own innate nature and using simple things in the kitchen and simple rhythms of the day to find balance. Right. Mm. Um And of course, with certain pathologies, you need to get herbal medic, you know, formulations and things like that to help intervene. Um, But I think ultimately my vision was to help women and, Mm. um, and really women who are suffering from like any sort of hormone health and imbalance because it's just the path I've gone through. Right. So I can wholly relate to that. And Mm -hmm. that, that's still true. I still want Mm -hmm. to serve women and, um, and use this medicine that has helped me to help them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's like so needed. I had major like hormone imbalances. I always have, but especially after treatment and everything. And, um, you know, my doctor was like, everything looks good. Like it's normal. And then I went to my naturopath and she was like, this, 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 this is not great. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And like, it helps so much. Now I feel like in balance and more regulated and just like, I can tell in my body. So it's such a big thing that women don't even know to like look for. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, there's so many things, like just the simple thing of like, knowing whether you're hungry or not like is that mm-hmm. pain that you're feeling in your stomach hunger you know or yeah. people just like do you have to ha- do you have to go to the bath do you have to poop like yeah is right. that a sensation of like a bowel movement that needs to happen yeah like why are you holding your pee in all day you know mm-hmm. like these simple things that over time caught ca- can cause disease right yeah. and I think in the type of the society we live in is just so does not celebrate it. I mean, it we're working on it. Right. But it doesn't, it doesn't nurture the feminine energy Mm -hmm. of resting, of getting nourishment of, you know, and so we are ingrained to grind and hustle and tap in so much to the masculine energy that the feminine energy, and this is for both men and women, but yeah. particularly women who have um, also women like female hormones, you know, mm-hmm. um, it, there are certain things that we need that we get depleted and drained and beat ourselves into the ground. And ultimately that's what caused my cancer was working yeah. too hard, being stressed out, chronic stress, chronic fatigue not eating how I should to support and maintain balance. Mm. And, um, I, you know, I'm not saying you also see these stories of people who are quote image of health, right. Right. And get cancer, but there are, there are things that I'm sure 
contribute to it and pathologies that have contributed. And then there's also mm-hmm. genetics. Like, yeah, I don't know about you, but I had I ended up doing a genetic panel to see if there were any because they thought my case was just so rare. Yeah. That like at my mm-hmm. age, the type of cancer that I had is like, well, you, they were looking to see if there was something that caused it. And it's like, well, no. Yeah. I didn't have any of those genetic uh, DNA yeah. Yeah. Things that they were I know, looking it's for. So, you know? I didn't I didn't do a genetic test. Um but who knows? I was like, what do you think caused it? They were like, the environment. <laughs> I mean the only reason why I did it was the only reason why I did it is because I have mm. siblings and they have kids and it's like if there was something in my genetics that could have caused cancer, like I would want them to know so their kids totally. know so they can do early screening and all of yeah. that and change, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, what are like three, two or three things that you like do each day that help with like the balance? Is there like certain little, you know, practices that you do every day that what could help anyone? Yeah, there are. So mm-hmm. one is called alternate nostril breathing. I do it anywhere okay. from five to 15 minutes a day. And you breathe in through your left nostril, out through Mm -hmm. your right, in through your right, Mm -hmm. out through your left. That's one full cycle. If we look at the teachings of yoga, um, I'm sure there are other traditions and cultures that also have this, Mm -hmm. you know, aligned in their core, um, their core like medicine, right? But we, it is believed that we have the feminine and masculine energies of the body associated with the, Mm. the right and left nostrils are associated with those two channels of the body. So breathing in, restricting breath into one channel and then Mm. releasing and then switching alternate nostril breathing, it helps to clear the channels of the body and the primary channels of our body Mm. are masculine and feminine channels of the body along with the the sashumna channel which Mm -hmm. is travels along the spinal cord so not only does it clear the channels of your masculine and feminine channels those Mm -hmm. intersect with the primary channel which along the spinal Mm -hmm. column which are our seven chakras or energy centers right so we're clearing energy centers we're also um, stimulating the vagus nerve, any sort of breath technique that you do for a long time. There's, there's a lot of modern and contemporary research that shows mm-hmm. around like vagal toning and like doing breath work to stimulate the, um, the vagus nerve. And, um, and that helps us to tap into okay. our parasympathetic nervous system, mm-hmm. which is the rest and digest. When you breathe in, you stimulate fight or flight. This is when we're ready to like go, right? When we breathe out, we feel that, that softening, that release, um, the Mm -hmm. tapping into the parasympathetic. So it's ultimately really good for your central nervous system, for your ability to rebound when there's, um, Mm -hmm. chaos and challenge, which happens all the time. Um, and keeping you, uh, more, it's very, very good for one of my mentors, Dr. Claudia Welch. She actually has an incredible book, um, ba- Balance Your Hormones, Balance Your Life. And she's a traditional Chinese mm-hmm. medicine doctor and Ayurvedic doctor. And she says every woman should practice 
alternate nostril breathing for 15 minutes a day because it's amazing at balancing your hormones. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So that's one, one tip. I love it. Amazing. I was also, I guess I'll let you do that. No, go ahead. (laughs) I was also curious how the chakras play into Ayurveda, like how they, if they coincide, if they. Sure. I mean, chakras in general are like, they're, they are, they run along the channels or the major nadis, the major rivers and currents of energy that flows through our body. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, I like to just look as uh, chakras as a system that, um, it's provides us lenses into different parts of our lives. Um, mm. and so in the, the many, the ancient texts don't necessarily, um, reference to balancing the chakras. Okay. But I think in general, balancing your energy and your nervous system is going to be associated with balancing chakras, right? And any mm-hmm. sort of breath work and meditation you do helps to clear your channels and move, you know, stagnation and blockages, which can cause mm-hmm. disease. Anywhere there's stagnation or blockage, there's not an even flow of energy, which then... Right moves the energy somewhere it shouldn't go or moves the Mm -hmm. tissues somewhere it shouldn't go or -hmm. causes cancer. Right. So like, so when we think of chakras as a system, um, in context to yoga and Ayurveda, just think of it as this, these gateways into different aspects of our lives. And if we feel certain Mm. blockages in parts of our body where our chakra centers are, this could be an opportunity for us to do more focused work there, either with different yoga poses or different breath techniques, um, Mm. et cetera. Yeah. Okay. All right. Amazing. I think it's, I just started reading, um, I forget what it's called, but a chakra book. Western body, (laughs) Western body, Eastern mind that is that one that's a good one too it's the wheels of life mm-hmm. i can see it that's a great it's book. so interesting yeah yeah it's really interesting so i just wanted to ask that um yeah. okay what's your other tip get outside i i go outside every day i have a little dog so it's kind of forces me to like get outside and walk but yeah being in nature even if it's for 15 20 minutes get outside, go for a walk, get your feet on the ground, get some Mm. sun or air in your skin. Look at nature with your eyes, like take in the natural beauty. Even if you live in an urban setting, like Mm -hmm. so important for us to just be in tune with where we live and with the natural surroundings. Um, And it's so, so healing. And so that's something that I do whether I have time for a walk or not, some days are just stacked where I'm either on virtual all day long and I'll just, I'll make sure I sit outside for a meeting, like Mm -hmm. get outside and sit outside for a meeting and, or put my headphones in, turn my video off and make sure I go for a walk, you know? Um, Yeah. So at some point in the day, get outside. I love that. That's a good one. And then this has been crucial Mm. for my health and well-being and, Um, and now I feel, you know, it's like, I'm starting to like, feel like pulling up my granny pants, but like (laughs) getting to bed early enough to like get a full eight hours of sleep. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. By 10 o'clock, I follow my yawns, you know? So by nine, I'm like starting to feel tired most nights. 
And if I don't feel tired, then I just make sure that I don't like turning my screens off when I'm Mm -hmm. feeling more wired will allow for the natural melatonin to be released in the body so that you can get to sleep. It's so important we get to bed. You know, Mm -hmm. if we look at the principles of Ayurveda is like by 10 p.m., before, yeah. we, you know, I wouldn't say I get to bed by 10 p.m. every night, but I'm definitely in bed by 1030 yeah. and more more nights than I'm not. Mm-hmm. So there are the occasional nights where I'm just up late and I am watching a good show or something or I'm reading a good right. book or I'm, I'm finishing up something on my computer. But um, more nights than not in bed. 1030, 11 yeah. nights out, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's like probably the most important. We had um, a doc, Dr. Toby Schmidt on another episode. She's an inflammation like expert. And she said the number one thing, not nutrition is sleep. Yeah. For everything. That I mean, you go to an Ayurvedic doctor. The first thing they're going to ask you is how's your sleep? What's your energy level like throughout the day? Mm-hmm. And how's your poop and digestion? Yeah. <laughs> Those are the top three things we look at to help, you know. Yeah. And then how, like, are you eating regular meals? You know, how consistently are you eating and, mm. um, and all of that. So those are the kind of things it's really looking at your digestive strength, your ability to like absorb and digest, not just food, but our experiences. That's what happens at night, mm. right? The mm-hmm. nighttime, the reason why we go to bed by 10 PM is because then we get back into the time of night where our fire element is strong. And this is our time mm. to absorb and assimilate our experiences from the day and the things that we take in. And mm-hmm. so um, if your digestive digestion is not strong, if your digestion is, you know, you're not able to either get good sleep or digest your food, um, you could be eating and eliminating, but not absorbing and digesting, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Those are two different mm-hmm. things. Right. Um, so those are my tips. Like get enough sleep, get outside. And what was the first one I said? Breathing. Breathe. Breathing. And breathe. <laughs> Alternate nostril breathing. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Those are great tips. Thank you so much, Emily, for for everything coming on. Thanks for having me on. It's always like refreshing to talk about, you know, my story with another person who's had cancer and is a cancer survivor. And I mean, yeah, I think it's hard to find young people who have had this experience and Mm -hmm. I'm just, I would love to meet more people. So if you're listening out there and you need a friend, like you want to connect, I'm, I would love to connect with you and hear about your story. Um, there's only like two people that I know or three people that I know. That's not true. There are, there are more than that. Actually, what's really crazy is like my cousin, mm. he's like two years old, you know, under one, he had mm-hmm. to deal with with a young kid cancer. I mean, he's okay oh, now, wow. but he's like, okay now. Oh. Yeah. You know, then you see those stories and it's like, whew, like it could be yeah. a lot worse. Right. And yeah. I know we talked about that a little bit before about like the kind of cancer that you have. It's like, 
Yeah. Uh, there's a guilt. There's also like that survivor's guilt or the guilt that you carry to the, the balancing of that emotion of like, well, it could have been right. worse. Like I didn't have to go through chemo or radiation, but now I know a friend of mine who's like, go, who's got to do it all. And it's like, yeah, it could be a lot worse. Yeah. But it's shitty no matter what. It is shitty like, no matter what. It's um, hard to, because you're not, you're, you don't have an end it's not end you know what I mean like mine like it was over after a certain amount of time you know what I mean and you're still kind of like dealing with the decision but that's because of the decision that I made so if I had decided to get a hysterectomy I wouldn't necessarily have to be like on edge you know or worried I mean I still would I think anytime you get any sort of cancer you're so worried that it's going to come back just not necessarily in the same system or absolutely you know which is why yeah. integrated medicine is a great tool so that you can create yeah. an environment where it won't come back. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you can feel more at peace. Yeah. You can. That's really yeah. it. It's, it's learning to accept. Mm-hmm. It's learning to be at peace. We're all going to die. You know, we're all going to leave mm-hmm. this human experience at some point. So if we mm-hmm. can be at peace with the path and journey that we're on and help other people, yeah. That's all it's about. Couldn't agree more. Um, well, thank you so much. How can people find you? Yeah. If thank they want you. to connect. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, yeah. I'm on Instagram. My Instagram handle is schmook.town. So S C H M O O K dot town. Okay. Um, and you can email me, Emily Schmuckler at gmail.com. Amazing. Perfect. And yeah. I'll put that in the episode notes so everyone can find it. Cool. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you so much, Emily. Thank you, Maddie, so much for having me. I appreciate you. Yes. Thank you. Keep me posted. Like I follow you, so I'll see. I will. Yeah. I want to hear how things go and all that. Same. Yeah. I want to hear. I want to stay posted on your experience and journey too. So thank you. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to Cancer Actually Fucking Sucks, the podcast where we get down to the nitty gritty of what actually happens before, during, and after cancer. Hosted by me, Madison Pollock. Follow along for updates and guests on Facebook and Instagram at Cancer Actually Sucks Podcast. 